All right, 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have an outline, and we should have some on the back table, you probably got one on the way in. But let's open with a word of prayer, and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words of man, but may the word of God go forth with power. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here today, none by chance, all by divine appointment. I pray for those that know you, that need to be encouraged, may you encourage them. For those that know you, that may need to be convicted, myself included, bring conviction. Lord, for anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would leave here, born again, new creations in Christ with the promise of heaven. So Lord, be our teacher, be glorified, your word, may your Holy Spirit speak. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So quickly, uh, review. So as we know, 1 John was written by the apostle John toward the end of his life, and he is writing to the church that is about 30 to 40 years old. And at this time already, there's false prophets who are teaching within the church, and then there's persecution on the outside of the church. So being a Christian in those days, if you got baptized, by the way, we are going to have a baptism today after church. And even if you had decided, weren't thinking about getting baptized, you can get baptized in jeans and flip-flops. It's all good. Can I get amen to that? So I encourage you. It's an outward statement of an inward change. But in those days, if you got baptized, you literally could lose your life. And so not only were you persecuted by Rome and those on the outside, those who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah amongst the Jewish people as well, but on the inside now, there, was a, there were several groups, and one was called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics were the ones who came along and said, we have a new gospel. We have a, an answer that only we have, and you're, you can, if you give your life to the Lord with your spirit, you can live however you want in your flesh because your flesh is evil anyway. And so it was a false gospel that was being taught. And so the correction is coming from John. Can you imagine being John? You walked with Jesus for three years. He described himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, he had his head on Jesus' chest. He was the last one at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And then to hear people teaching these blasphemous things about his Savior. So this is the heart from which he writes this letter. And as we've seen so far, this has been a very exhortive letter, a calling, again, to stand for the truth. If you were not here last week, we talked about a defense against being deceived. We need to test the spirits. You know, check every message against the Word of God, including this one. You know, the reason we don't put the Bible verses on the screen, I want you to have a Bible. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the back. If you need a Bible, you can keep it. We will buy more. Amen? We want to have, if you don't open the Word on Sunday, you're not going to open it on Monday. But you test everything against the Word of God. You listen to what people say about Jesus. Because if, if they deny the deity of Christ or the fact that he is the creator or that he's the only way to heaven or that he was born of a virgin or that he rose from the dead then they're not Christians, amen? And we need to test everything anybody says. By the way, he's not a created being like the Mormons would teach, or just a, if some would say he's, you know, was sent by the Father, but he and the Father are not one. There's a lot of false teaching out there, and again, they always make Jesus less and man more. And then we need to look at how they relate to the world. And again, we should be loving, kind, and gracious. We should be an example of Jesus Christ to the world. But the truth is, if we love God, the world will hate us, ultimately. Amen? 
And so if the world loves you, you're doing something wrong, amen? Because the reality is that, again, we should be loving and kind and gracious. Don't be jerks. Don't be self-righteous. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, but we need to not relate to the world. We minister to the world, have no fellowship with it. And then finally, by how they respond to God's word. Guys, it's not enough to own a Bible. It's not enough to believe that the Bible is true. We need to open it, read it, and obey it. And they've had surveys where less than 20% of Christians in America, even you know, pro- professing Christians, read their Bible during the week. You see a lot of churches where the people come, they don't even have a Bible when they come to church. That's not good. Now, as we come to this morning's text, he's going to talk about something that is the most, one of the most misinterpreted things on this planet. And here's what it is. Love. And we're going to see God's perspective on what true love really is this morning. It's going to help us define true godly love. And we'll look at the contrast between God's definition of love and the world's definition of love. So as John is teaching them this, here's what we hear a lot, especially today. If you love me, you'll agree with everything I believe in. Is that accurate? If you love me, you'll rejoice in my behavior, even if it's contrary to the word of God. If you love me, that's not not what the word of God teaches. And so we're going to look at love in depth. And my prayer is that when we leave here, we understand the difference between what the world calls love and what the word of God defines as love. Amen? So grab the outline, and I put the whole two-thirds, of, the first two-thirds of this are defining what love is. So we're going to go ahead and define it right now, and then we'll see it again as we get through the text. So I tell the message, true love, God's definition of what love really is. And there's three, three types of love. These are three of the types of love found in Scripture. There's actually five, but there's three that we're going to look at this morning. The first one is called is eros, and I call that if love. It's if love. If you do for me, then I will love you back. Except the word there, eros, is where we get the word erotic, and it talks about a selfish love. It's not love, it's really lust. It's really, as long as you give to me, then I will give back to you. So it's if love. It's a conditional love based on selfish desires. It's self-centered. It's a what can you do for me love. This is why when people say we fell out of love, you know what they're really saying? He stopped doing for me. She stopped doing for me. They stopped satisfying all my wants and desires. And if you marry somebody, just looking for somebody to fulfill all your wants and desires, that marriage is going to fail. And it should. Amen? What I mean by that is that Christ needs to be at the center of it. I love you only as long as you satisfy me. As soon as you cease to satisfy me, my love is gone and I'll move on. If someone else can satisfy me more, I'll kick you to the curb. So that's eros, and that's a word that's used in the Bible, and it's if love. Then there's phileo. Phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia. It's called the city of brotherly love. But it too, if eros is if love, phileo is because love. Because you did this for me, I'll love you back. Because you're, you know, you bought me a new car, I'll love you. Because you, you know, serve me, because you care for me, then I will give back to you. Again, it still has a what's in it for me mentality, like Eros, it's self-centered and conditional, and it's why people again say I fell out of love or we grew apart. Again, you no longer satisfy my self-centered and physical or emotional needs, and on we go. Now, those are, both of those, they use, they, the word love is used, but we, but we know that that's not really love. That's certainly not 
agape love. And that's the third word, and that's the one we're going to really focus on this morning. Agape, where if erotic is if love and phileo is because love, agape is anyway love. I love you no matter what. There's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you because the love is selfless, it's other-centered, it's God-given, it's unconditional, and it sticks through anything. Amen? It's a love, not a love Eros takes. Philadelphia wants and agape gives. The word in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he agaped. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and God the Father sent his son and gave him for us that we might have eternal life. That's agape love. It's unconditional. It's selfless. It's other-centered. It's God-given. We know it says in Galatians 5.22, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is agape. So the only way you can have agape is if you have the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot have agape. Now, some people get angry. Are you telling me people that aren't born again, people that aren't saved, can't love? Yeah, they can love, but they can't love the way that you can love when you have the Lord. Amen? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's evidence that you've been saved. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is a love. Let's see. I got some definitions on here. A love that gives, not takes. That isn't based on whether somebody's uh, worthy or, or their worthiness or their behavior. You know, people will say this, and I've been hearing this lately. Well, I have to have boundaries against people that aren't acting exactly the way I want them to, and they have to fix that, so I'll start loving them again. You don't have agape. You've got eros or you've got phileo. Amen? Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't do that to us? How sad would it... How many times would the Lord stop loving you and start loving you and stop, in, in a day? Amen? Because every time we failed, imagine if he pulled his love away from us. And that's not what the Word of God teaches. Amen? It isn't based on another's worthiness or behavior. There's nothing to do with my physical or emotional needs being met. A love for someone outside of ourselves more than ourselves. Eros has been described, and moms, don't take this wrong, but Eros has been described as a love a, ba a newborn baby has for the mom. And what do I mean by that? Newborn babies, and rightfully so, are selfish. Amen? When they get hungry, they don't care if it's 3 a.m. and you haven't slept. They will scream until you show up and feed them. Amen? It's part of survival. I totally get it. But here's the reality that they don't sit there and go, well, you know, mom hasn't had any rest. I think I'll just sit here and stare at my mobile for a couple hours and give her a nap. That's what's not happening. Amen? Because it's all about what can you do for me now? And I need this. And a baby does need the mom. But see, agape is described as the love a mom has for the child. See, the baby's love is, is selfish. And the mom's love is selfless. The dad's love is selfless. What would a parent do for, its child, for their children? Anything. Amen? Run through fire for them. Do anything. When that baby cries at two in the morning, one, if not both of the parents are popping out of bed, running down the hallway to get that baby and make sure she, he or she is taken care of right away. Amen? See, it's a love that gives. It's not about me. It's not whether or not I'm being inconvenienced right now. It has nothing to do with me because I love you more than I love myself and I would die for you. And so if I'm willing to die for you, I'm willing to live for you. Amen? So that's agape. And so do we see the difference? See, in America, we love tacos. I love tacos. I love, uh, you know, 
the Rams. I love, you know, uh, Netflix. I love watching such and such a movie. Uh, I love my children. I love my wife and I love God. Those are all better be different. Can I get an amen to that? You better love your wife more than you love tacos. Amen. And we better love the Lord more than we love anything. Amen. And so there's this understanding, this misunderstanding of what love really is. And so the three points at the bottom there, we're going to look at true agape love. First, it's evidence that we've truly been saved. See, true agape love is only in the life of a born-again, spirit-filled believer because it comes from the Holy Spirit. And that's why we as believers, and again, we don't downplay other people's love in that sense, but we as believers love deeper. You know why we love deeper? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he has equipped us to love deeper than the world ever could. Amen? Secondly, true agape love is demonstrated by a heart of selfless sacrifice. You know what's amazing? Even our, our church here, when people need help, people rise to the occasion. Nobody ever says, what's in it for me or that's inconvenient. People, you know why? Because when you have the Lord, you love God and you love people. Amen? And you have a heart to serve somebody else and you become selfless. When we don't have the Lord, we're selfish. We take 500 selfies a day and post them online thinking that people could care less what you had for breakfast, amen? But you know what? As a believer, instead of being selfish, we should be selfless, amen? And uh, esteeming others greater than ourselves. And then finally, true agape love flows through the life of a believer to the world around us. The Bible says they shall know us by the love that we have one for another. I'm going to say this to every one of you, and even if you're new here today and I haven't met you yet, I love every single one of you more than you will ever know. You're in my prayers. You're in my thoughts. I, I pray for you daily. I pray for this church daily. I love you guys unconditionally. It's a total privilege to serve you. It's a get to. It's never a have to. Some of you will apologize for calling me. I have my cell phone everywhere because I want you to call me if I can help you in any way. Amen? But you know what? You guys love each other. And when people visit here, that's one of the things I'll hear most often is, man, you guys love each other. And you know what? We should love each other because we're called to be an example of Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's begin. They're looking at God's definition of what love really is. We're going to start off with true agape love is evidenced that we, it's evidence that we've truly been saved. So we pick up there in 1 John chapter 4, we're picking up in verse 7. Then it says right there in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, people will read that verse, and if they don't know the difference between agape love and eros love, they'll say anybody who loves anything knows God. You can love tacos and not know God. Amen? See, we need to understand what that word means. Because the word there for love, I'll give you one guess. Beloved, let us, what? What's that word? Let us agape one another. Then it says again, for agape is of God. And everyone who, ha- everyone who agapes is born of God and knows God. See, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the agape love that flows in us and through us to a world around us. And he said, let us love one another. Love indeed is the main theme throughout the rest of this chapter. And the word, of God, the word agape is used 22 times in 15 verses. 
Think he's driving a point home. Agape, agape, agape. Selfless love, selfless love. God-given love, love that gives, not love that takes. Boy, could we use some agape in the United States right about now, amen? The world needs agape. We need to have the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And while the word gets thrown around a lot, again, in our culture, this love is more than just grace. It includes exhortation, righteous judgment, and again, I love that movie. I love my friends. I love my wife. I love the children. I love my children. I love the Lord. We need to, those things should be different. And more songs written about love than any other topic. Is that not true? Yeah, love songs, right? And they're on the radio. <laughs> he loves me. No, he eroses you. Amen? He's a dog. In he... Get him out. You don't love... By the way, if someone wants you to define your love for them by getting you to do something sinful, they don't love you. They lust you and kick them to the curb. And if you need some help, we got some pastors here who continue to lift weights so we can help out. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> so there's numerous words, again, that describe this emotion. And, and that word love in most of these songs that we hear on the radio and stuff, they have nothing to do with agape. It's always what that other person can do for me or what I can get from another person. I love you as long as you satisfy me. As soon as there is no more, again, that if love or that because love. There shouldn't be a because in there. You know, Jesus didn't die for you because you were good. He died for you because he's good. He didn't say, I'm going to love you, but only if. I'll die for you only if you, you perform all these perfect deeds and never make another mistake. His love for us is not conditional, it's unconditional, amen? amen. Now, we must receive it. He offers it universally. It's, it's accepted individually. He won't force his love on you. But once you accept his love, it's unconditional, and he will never leave you nor forsake you, amen? amen. Again, we don't, he doesn't, aren't you glad the Lord doesn't fall out of love with us? I've done marriage counseling. I've been a pastor 34 years, done a lot of marriage counseling. And people say, well, we're falling out of love. No, you just stopped. You stopped agapeing each other. Can I get amen to that? You stopped loving the other person more than you love yourself. It was never about you to begin with. You married her so you could bless her. You married him so you could bless him. My parents inside their wedding ring, they're both in heaven now. It said each for the other, both for God. And we need to focus more on, my, I want my wife to be blessed way more than I want to be blessed. I love giving her gifts way more than I'll ever, she gets mad at me, I don't even like getting gifts. But I love giving her gifts. When she smiles, I'm happy. Amen. When we, when we have agape, we love to bless somebody else. It's not about us. It's a love that gives. It's a love that serves. Again, it's that love that the mom has for the child. It's a selfless, other-centered, God-given, unconditional love. And he's saying, that's the kind of love we should have for each other. We should have the kind of love that there's nothing you can say that's inconvenient to me. There's nothing you can do to get me to stop loving you. I'm going to love you no matter what. You know what? Love others as Christ love us. Amen. And we need to have that same love and exhibit it toward one another. You know, you see all this stuff on, on social media, people deconstructing and walking away from their faith. And whenever they do, they're always blaming other people. And the problem is we don't keep our eyes on people. We keep our eyes on Jesus. But we should live in such a way that if they had their eyes on the people in this fellowship, they would see the love of Jesus Christ being demonstrated. Amen? May we live it out loud. May we be unashamed of the gospel. May we, beloved... Again, that's another form of the word agape. So he's saying, beloved, lo those I love, let us agape one another, for agape is of God. 
That's the love of God. No Holy Spirit, no agape. One of many reasons, again, while being unequally yoked makes no sense. Here's why you don't want to marry an unbeliever or date an unbeliever. Or Look, minister to the world, have no fellowship with it. We don't want to be isolated, but we want to be, you know, we want to be a part. We want to be set apart. You know, the boat, we want the boat in the water, but no water to get in the boat. But sometimes people say, well, we're just hanging out. You know, we're not really going to get married or anything. Look, if they're not courtship to marriage material, that relationship needs to end tomorrow, today. Amen? Because somebody who doesn't know God cannot love you the way that you love them. And somebody who does not know God will not lead you spiritually. Amen? First thing I want to know when I meet somebody who comes and maybe we've got single gal in the church. And so, where you at with the Lord, bro? Where's your walk? And if you have to prop somebody up, they're not there yet. Amen? Songs like, all you need is love. Right? The, the accurate statement, if you know what kind of love it is, all we need is agape. I would say amen to that. If we have agape, we have everything. If we have the love of God being poured out upon us, what else could, do we need? What else is there that this world has to offer? Not worldly, fleshly, physically based uh, eros or phileo, temporary, conditional. That stuff doesn't last. But do you know the love of God was poured out upon you? And do you know when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit came to live inside of you? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them up in glory. And you're going to look him in the eyes. And he's going to tell you, welcome home. Amen? Amen? Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. We have the love of God. It's God-given. It's unconditional. It's eternal. Again, in that sense, he's basically saying, those who are loved, let us love. Those who are loved, beloved. Those who are loved, let us love. If the Lord loves you, it should make it a lot easier for you to love somebody else. Amen? Love God, love people. Great commission. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So love God and love people, and we need more of that today. Amen? Is agape selfless, unconditional giving, eternal love is poured out upon us. Let us pour it out on others. Again, 22 times in 15 verses. Again, it's not our loving actions that save us, but the greatest act of love in all of human history, which took place on the cross of Calvary that saves us. And again, he says there, for everyone who, lo who loves is born of God and knows God. So not everybody who loves eros, lust, or you know, if love, or because love, it's those who have giving love, unconditional love, Holy Spirit love poured out upon me love that can only come from having a relationship with Almighty God. If you don't know if it's agape, you, you can interpret this verse, anyone who loves anything knows God, and that's not the case. You know, a lot of times people would say to me, and they've said it to me over the years, you know, pastor, you, need to, you should only preach love, that's it. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about righteous judgment. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about, you know, just love, love, love. And there's a mentality that as long as we love, we're fine. Again, if it's agape love that comes from God, it means we're going to heaven and we don't need to fear the things of this world. But if you're trying to get to heaven on your good works or because you love uh, in a worldly fashion, it's not a reflection of truly knowing the Lord. 
Guys, we're more than just forgiven when we were born again. We became new creations in Christ. Old things passed away. All things have become new. If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? If you've truly been born again, you will be different than that person you used to be. When you repent, you are walking in this direction, away from God, satisfying the lust of your flesh, just going full speed after the things of this world. And when you were born again, you turned away and you surrendered your life to the Lord. You became a new creation in Christ. And now that stuff you used to love, you despise. And when you sin, you're grieved. And before where you bragged about it, amen? So if you're a new creation, your life should change. There's been no change. There's been no salvation. One of these new things is, again, is exhibiting the love of Christ toward God and toward people. It's impossible. Agape is impossible apart from Christ. And this is why, again, don't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? Don't be surprised when the world acts worldly. That's all of us apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Amen? We're, we're, we're no better than anybody else. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But since we've been born again, we should live different. And by the way, let's stop trying to win arguments over politics and let's start leading people to Jesus Christ. Amen? amen? I, I want to win people. I don't want to win arguments. I want to win people. Can I get amen to that? Amen. And we need to do that. Again, you can win an argument and you can push them further and further away from the Lord because the way that a lot of Christians are defined is by what we're against. So the best definition of agape can be found in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm sure you probably, if you've been to a wedding, maybe in your own wedding, this is a chapter that's often shared by in, in the middle of a wedding. So what does selfish, selfless, giving, eternal, unconditional love that comes from God look like? Here it is. You ready? Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, again, agape is patient. Not eros. Eros isn't patient. Phileo is not patient. But agape is. Agape is patient. Agape is kind and is not jealous. Agape does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all thing, things. Love, agape love, never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Now, the way that you look at this and find out, does this sound... Am I living a life of agape? And look, we all fall short and we all could be more loving. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. But put your name where it says agape, where it says love in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. So I did this with myself. David's patient. Sometimes, not always. Amen. David's kind. I would hope so. David's not jealous. David does not brag. David's not arrogant. David does not act unbecomingly. And again, the hope would be that that should be a reflection of us. Even if we fall short at times, this should more describe who we are, are because of who we are in Christ. Amen? So this agape love is evident, growing in all true believers, and won't be perfected until we get to heaven. I talk about this all the time. We got new people here. The day you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're justified, just as if you've never sinned. Once you've been justified, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're going to heaven. But from that day until we get to heaven, now we're being sanctified. That word sanctified means set apart. So as believers, once we give our life to the Lord, that's not the finish line, that's the beginning. Amen? That's where it all starts. So what happens is from that point forward, we're growing in the Lord. We should be becoming more and more like our Savior. So we're justified, now we're being sanctified, 
until the day we're glorified, and that won't happen until we get to heaven. So everybody in here, we're all works in progress. Amen? Was anybody perfect this week? If you put your hand up, you're a liar and you're prideful on top of that. Can I get an amen to that? So the reality is, we're all works in progress. This is a hospital where people come who have failed and we need to be loved on, encouraged, exhorted, strengthened, and repented if necessary. Amen? And that's why we're here. That's why it's so important that we be in fellowship. So how does agape grow? It grows as our knowledge of God grows. Look at what it says there at the end of that verse, knows God. The word there is gnosko, means to know by experience. I don't know about God, I know him. Amen? Amen. You can know about people. I've used this illustration many times, so I apologize for those of you who've heard it. But I know a lot about Michael Jordan. I can tell you that he went to University of North Carolina. I can tell you he won six titles. I can tell you he tried to play baseball and wasn't very good at it. I can tell you a lot about him. But if I get in an elevator with Michael Jordan, he's got no idea who I am because he doesn't know me. Amen? I don't know him. I know about him. A lot of people know about God. They know he's got a best-selling book. Amen? They know that Christmas celebrates his birth. They know that Easter celebrates his resurrection. They may know about God. They have things they've heard about God, but when they stand before him on judgment day, sadly, they don't know him. And he doesn't know them. I don't know, depart from me for, I never knew you, the Bible says. So guys, it's not enough to say we believe in God. We need to know God. And if we know God, if we know him, the gnosko, there's to know by experience. John is saying, when we really experience God, we come to know him intimately, it will show in the agape love we have one for another. See, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I love people. The closer I get to the Lord, the more I love him, first and foremost, Amen. To know him better is to love him more. That's why we spend time in the word. Because we're, we're, as we get to know him better it, and we draw closer to him, we love him even more. Verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And again, he who does not agape, he who does not have agape, does not know God, for God is agape. Now, our God is a God of love, but love is not God. Can I get an amen to that? Well, you know, just as long as you love, my God is love. No, you can't have, you know, God is love, but, you're, but love is not God. Amen? Most of you know I had three boys that all struggled in varying times with addiction, and there were times I'd go to these meetings with them, A meetings or whatever, and people would say, well, my God is a doorknob, or my God is a tree, or my God is the universe, or my God is, and I'd say, your God doesn't exist. And you got thrown out of a lot of those meetings. Your God does not exist. There's only one true and living God, amen? No other gods before him, beside him, or after him. So guys, we need to fall in love with the true and living God. And we need to be unashamed of his name. I love being called a Christian. People are, well, I don't like being called a Christian. It's got bad con. I love it. It means little Christ or follower of Jesus. And guys, we ought to be excited that we get to be called followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we shouldn't hide it, be ashamed of it. We should stand up for the truth. Who does not have agape does not know God, for God is love. He who does not have agape love has not truly come to know God, does not know him by experience. Again, they may know a lot about him. They may have head knowledge about him, but they lack a heart transformation. See, again, when you know about him and not, don't know him, your life doesn't really change. 
While agape will not be perfected in us this side of heaven, it must be present and it should be growing. My prayer, my prayer for myself every month, every week, every year is, Lord, I want to be closer to you tomorrow than I am today. I want to be closer to you next month than I am this month. Lord, I want to continue to be growing in my relationship with you. Lord, I need your help. Lord, help me. You've heard me say it often. My favorite, one of my favorite prayers is help. I pray it all the time. Lord, help. He hears. You can't truly grow in your experience of God without also growing in love for one another. And one of many reasons why a true Christian walk is one of deep fellowship, not only with God, but with one another. Again, not to be isolated. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. I've been in discussions recently with different people that I've known in the past that have just checked out of church. And then when they check out of church, they say, I'm still a Christian. I still love the Lord. I still read my Bible. I just don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. Okay, or, or, or this happened at church. I'd rather spend Sunday with a few hypocrites than eternity in hell with all of them. Can I get an amen to that? And the, and the reality is, and the reality is that sometimes we can, act, we can act hypocritical, but we don't come here for other people. We come here for Jesus Christ. And you know what? He's never hypocritical. He's never wrong. He's always loving. He's always faithful. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm your son. I can't we can't thank God enough, amen? amen? He who does not love does not know God. If there isn't real agape love for God's people in your life, and you claim to have in, in, intimate fellowship with God, it just simply is not true. Again, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. If there's no love, there's no spirit, there's no salvation. Again, for God is love. He's the very definition of love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. When I think of love, the greatest act of love, what do you think of when you think of the greatest act of love ever? What is it? Jesus, Jesus where? On the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he could get down anytime he wants, because he's almighty God. Amen? When, they, when they're smoting him, when they're mocking him, when they put the crown of thorns on his head, when they had him carrying the cross, when he was hanging on the cross and he was separated from the Father, he could have stopped it at any time. And you know why he didn't? He could have turned all those Roman soldiers into toads, amen? He could have, he could have brought you know, 500 pound you know, meteors from the sky. He could have done anything. He's God, amen? But you know what? He endured it. Here's why. Because he loves you, amen? So the next time, well, God's just not doing stuff for me. And I prayed, and he didn't do it. So I don't think he... Remember this, and you remember just how much he really does love you. Amen? And he, just because he loves you doesn't mean he's going to give you what you want. He's going to give you what you need. Amen? That's our God. We've surrendered our life to him. Is he smarter than you? We're all idiots compared to God. Amen? So if God doesn't give us what we want, it's because God knows best. Again, the word of God is not a fence to keep us from fun. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff because he knows what's best for us. Amen? God is love. God is selfless, eternal, unconditional love. But in that love, he does not condone but condemns false teachers. He confronts sinful behavior and he makes a stand for holiness. See, people have this wrong sense of love that if I, again, if I love you, I will agree with anything you choose to do. If I love you, I will, I will you know, clap for you and identify you how you want to be identified and all this other nonsense that's going on in the world right now. Here's the reality. God's a God of love, grace, and mercy, but he's also a God of truth, amen? 
And I was shaking your fist at God to say there's more than two genders because God's the one who created, men, created us male and female. Amen? It's a, it's a shaking your fist at God to believe in evolution, which is the lie of the devil because God created us in his own image and God is not an amoeba. Can I get an amen to that? You know, anything that we see in Scripture, the, the attack on marriage, God created marriage. Now look, he loves people unconditionally, but again, that, he's enough to die for you, but salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually, and we must surrender our life to him if we're going to experience the love of God. True love doesn't ignore that which brings harm to those that he loves. If one of my kids was running out in the street, I would, I would tackle them. I would jerk their arm out of the socket if necessary to keep them from getting hit by a car. That doesn't make me unloving. That makes me a dad who loves. Amen? And the Lord loves you enough that when you're playing in traffic, he may jerk your arm out of the socket when you need it, and we should praise him for doing it. Can I get an amen to that? Those who the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines. He'll make us stand for what is best for you and for me. He is a gracious God. It says agape love that boldly stands for truth, that bonds us together as believers. You guys have probably seen this. I do it every time I do pre-marriage counseling. You know, that triangle, God's at the top. Man and woman are here. The closer they are to the Lord, the closer they are to each other. The further they are from the Lord, the further they are from each other. And if that person doesn't know God and this one does, this one's close, this one's far away, there's a great distance. See, closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other. Amen? Is this agape love that, again, was manifest at Calvary when he died for our sins, but it also condemns sin. See, it forgives sin for those who repent, and it condemns the sinner who refuses to repent. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the thing we also hear. The only verse that atheists seem to know in the entire Bible is, judge not lest ye be judged. It's <laughs> her favorite. Are you judging me? Are you judging me? The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. I'm like, you might want to read some more verses in that Bible. Can I get into that? <laughs> you need to understand context. The Bible does tell us to judge righteously all over Scripture. Amen? We judge the truth, and we talk about what's the lie. Amen? God is love, and in his love, he is holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. His holiness is loving. His righteousness is loving. His justice is loving. So even when he brings divine justice, it's out of his love. Everything he does expresses his love. His love is offered to us all. It will be accepted. When we accept it, it will transform your life. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. Amen? And it's seen nowhere in a more clear way in the next few verses. So point number one, true love is the evidence that we've truly been saved. So if you've been born again, you should have agape love. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're sinless. We're all sinners saved by grace. As Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen. And it's a transforming word. Point number two there is true agape love is demonstrated by the heart, the heart of selfless sacrifice. Look at verse nine. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The word manifested there is to make visible that which before was hidden. So Jesus was in heaven. He's always been. He's not created. He's creator. I know you get a headache trying to figure out the Trinity. Amen. There's one God in three persons. People struggle with that because we have finite minds trying to understand an infinite God. Amen. And when we get to heaven, it will all make sense. 
And there's all these analogies people use like steam and ice and water. And they all have the same thing. You know, our egg and a yolk and a shell and, you know, the whole thing, right? They got all these things that we try to make it all one. But the reality is that the Trinity is true because God said so. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus, and Jesus always points people to the Father. Amen? And the, and, and the Father sent the Holy Spirit. Now, what I love about this verse is the love of God was, so his love was made visible to us. How was Almighty God, this is speaking of God the Father, how was God the Father's love made manifest to us by sending his Son? Amen? Because it says there, again, was manifest toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. His love is manifested toward us. How do we know that? By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. As in 1 John 3, 16, we saw that a couple weeks ago. The love toward us is in us. His love wasn't just shown to us. It was placed in us. So how, do, so how did he manifest that love? He sent his son. Now, why, now I want to say this, and this is going to be hard for me, okay? And, and Lord, help me. But you know what? Since Mark went to heaven a year ago, when I, look at, when I look at the cross, I think a lot about the Father. And the reason I think a lot about the Father, again, I don't ever want to downplay all that Jesus did on the cross, but the fact that the Father allowed it to happen when he could have put a stop to it, and he didn't because he loves us. He watched the beatings and he let them go on. He watched the scourging and the mocking and the crown of thorns and the nails on his hands and feet. And the incredible suffering on the, on the cross and the separation from him. He knew it, separation from his son. And he endured all of that because he loves you. And again, Jesus is the focal point of the cross, but we not, must not forget the love of the father sent his son so he could die so that we could have eternal life. And he endured the torment right along with his son because what's harder, suffering yourself or watching one of your children suffer? So both of them should be glorified for the cross. Can I get an amen to that? And there's only one God in three persons, but again, it's just, it is, you know, because he sent his son, I get to see my son again. We must not forget the incredible act of love on the father's part who sent his son. He knew it was coming. He could have stopped it, and he allowed it to happen out of love for us. That love is agape, and it's defined not only by the sacrifice of Jesus, as awesome as it is, and never downplay that, the greatest act of love in all of human history, but also by the giving of the father. I know as a sinful man, again, I don't think I could do it. It'd be easier for me to die than my son to die, but now I know what it's like to have your son die, and knowing that uh, gives me an eternal perspective. Heaven is better. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. See, he not only sent his son, but he looked on as he suffered. He allowed him to suffer out of love for us. He knew separation out of love for us. And it gives me a deeper understanding of the incredible love that God has for us. If you have children, think about how much would you have to love somebody to let their son die in their place, your son die in their place. Most of us would never do it. I love you all very much. You want one, another one of my kids? No. Sorry, no. I'll see you in heaven when you, you know, because you're going first. Can I get amen to that? Those who portray our heavenly father as harsh and judging God, some portray the Father as angry and condemning, and Jesus is loving and kind. Our Father's love is so clearly demonstrated by sending of his Son to suffer in our place. The greatest act of agape in all of human history is sending his only begotten Son. Now, notice it says begotten. People struggle with that. Begotten speaks of the same in nature and being. 
So Jesus isn't created. He's the only begotten son. We're not begotten. We're adopted. Amen? So we didn't come from heaven and come to earth and God take us from heaven and we were part of him and he brought us to earth. That's only Jesus. Amen? We're here and we get adopted into his family, not because we're perfect or holy or begotten, but because of his love and his grace and his mercy. Amen? While we are called sons and daughters, we're adopted. And again, Jesus is begotten. Begotten is eternal, almighty God who out of love for us took on humanity. Notice it says into the world. You know, I don't think we'll fully grasp the fact that going into the world is a big deal until we get to heaven. And we're going to get to heaven and go, dude, you left here to go down to that pit? Amen? My son's memorial service was a year ago today. And one of my grandsons got up, Ezra, I think he was nine at the time, if you were there, and people were just sharing about my son, and there were 700 people there, and Mark had impacted a lot of lives. But Ezra got up, and out of the mouth of the babes, here's what he said. He, you know, he talked about his uncle and how much he loves him, and he goes, you know what? Mark's up in heaven, hanging out with you, and we're down here on this stupid rock. <laughs> and I thought, amen, amen, and amen. That we don't grieve for him, we grieve for us because we miss him. Because Mark's doing better than all of us. And all those that you know that knew the Lord have gone before you are doing way better than all of us. Amen? But we grieve because we miss them. Again, Jesus left the holiness and perfection of heaven where he ruled and reigned and was worshipped to come to this place, sinful and corrupt, where he would be despised, mocked, tortured, and crucified. Let me say that again. He left the place where he reigned, where he was worshipped where everybody knew him as he was. And he left that to come to a place where he knew he would be despised and mocked and tortured and crucified. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. And he did that out of love for each and every one of us. It says at the end of that verse that we might have life through him. The love of the Father was seen not only in the sending of the Son, but in what it accomplished. He died that you and I might live. He suffered and died physically that you and I might live spiritually. Amen? Because he came and suffered and died physically, you and I can be born again spiritually. He suffered and died. Agape love is more than words, but a willingness to suffer and sacrifice personally for the benefit of others. He endured the punishment and the, uh, uh, our sin deserved. He paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. He took all the sin of all mankind upon himself, your separation from the Father, so that you and I could be forgiven. Again, how can we not shout it from the mountaintops that we serve an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful, all-loving Savior? Amen? And praise his name. He endured the punishment we deserve that we might enjoy the rewards of his holiness. He suffered as if he lived my life and your life so we could be rewarded as if we lived his. What a great and awesome God we serve. I know I'm repeating that, but it bears repeating. Amen? We live through him. This is a great way to define the Christian life, living through him. The work of the cross does more than wash away our sins. It transforms our lives. It's not just a work he does for us, but it's a work he continues to do in us. He's continuing where all works in progress. He's continuing to do that work in us. Verse 10, in this love, in this agape, not only that we, that we agape God, but that he agape us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sin. Our love relationship with God was not initiated by us. It was initiated by God. Amen? Now, 
Salvation offered universally accepted individually, but God's the one who initiated this relationship with us by, by sending his son to suffer and die. Roman 8, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't die for you because you're good. He didn't die be, for you because you got better. And here's the sad part. This is what the enemy will tell you. You need to get your act together and then you can come to church. You need to quit all that sinning stuff and then God will love you. Well, guess what? You'll never quit sinning and you'll never get your life perfect. That's why we need to come to Jesus just as we are. Amen? He doesn't save perfect sinners, people. He redeems sinners like you and me. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And yet he did it anyway. That's the ultimate act of selfless love. Agape gives its best, and God sent his son. When we give agape, we give people our best, not the rest. Give them the best that we have. In this is, in, in this is love. Real love, agape love, is not defined by our love for God, but by his love for us. <clears throat> it says, Charles Spurgeon said this, if there is to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent to God the offender to he, to he first to apply for forgiveness. The weaker should apply to the greater for help. The poor should ask him who distributes on, but here in his, his love that God sent him for us. So it's usually when the person who's hurting wants help, they have, to, they have to cry out to the one who can help them. The poor cries out to the rich. You know, the one who is hurting cries out to the physician that can heal him. But instead what happened is he who was perfect cried out to us and he reached down to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word there, propitiation, in Greek, it means to make atonement. It was a place, a propitiary was a place where blood was spilled to pay for sin. And Jesus was the one who spilled his blood to pay for our sins. Propitiation refers to God's wrath being satisfied by the death of Christ upon the cross. See, our sin had a price, but Jesus paid it. Amen. We were all in debt. We could not pay the price. We're standing before the judge. We owe him $5 billion and we got 27 cents in our pocket. We're in trouble. But the good news is that the judge also, Jesus, comes out and says, I will pay his price. He's not just the judge. He's the redeemer. He's the one that took the price, the debt that we owed, and paid for it himself. Muhammad never did that. The Hindu gods didn't do it. Jehovah's Witnesses, God didn't do it. Joseph Smith didn't do it. None of the false gods of this world ever died for anybody. None of them ever rose from the dead. None of them were ever sinless. That's why they're all false gods and false prophets, and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to Father but by him. Amen? Sin separates us from God, and propitiation removes that separation and restores fellowship. This incredible act of love was done to restore sinful man back to holy God. He didn't just send his son to be an example, though he was. If he had sent his son to be an example, that would work, because he's our example, amen? Don't look to people, look to the Lord, he's the example. Didn't send him on a fact-finding mission. Go down there and figure out what's going on down there and come back and tell me what, he didn't do that. Or on a mission of compassion, just to, you know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they cried out, say, what is it? Hosanna, which means save now we pray you. But here's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to come in and overthrow the Roman government and establish his own kingdom and kill all the people that were bringing, you know, heaviness to the Jews. And they wanted a conquering warrior. 
not a suffering Savior. And some of those people that said, Hosanna, save now, we pray you. Four days later, some of those very same people were crying out what? Crucify him. Why? Because they wanted a God who would give them what they wanted here on earth. And what God wants to give us is something that will outlast this temporary life on this planet. Can I get an amen to that? And I am so thankful. Now, when he comes back next time, he came on the foal of a colt, a donkey. He came on the back of a donkey. That's an animal of peace. Jesus Christ is coming back. What's he coming back on next time? A horse. And that's going to be a time of war. And praise God, we're going to be right behind him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? And we live in a world today that's more concerned with, well, we need to do that. No, we need to see people saved. He's a God of love, grace, and mercy, and he's a God who suffered and died in our place, and he paid the price for us. What we really need, look, we need other things in our lives, but the thing that we really need is to be redeemed, to be forgiven. How many sinners I got in the room? Okay, so we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. The word sin there is an archery term for the distance of separation between the bullseye and where the arrow lands. Whether you miss the mark by a foot or a million miles, and most of it is closer to the latter, not the, the first one. No matter what, we're sinners. And you know what? You can't be good enough to wipe away your sin. There's no action that you can take to get rid of your sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we can be forgiven. See, he is the bullseye and he paid the price. Amen? Again, he didn't just send him to teach us something, although he does. He sent him to redeem us. Last point, true agape love flows through the life of the believer to the world around us. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen? I have a lot of pastor friends, and they, some of them, most of them get it, but some of them will say, so you hug everybody in your church and you tell them that you love them every time you see them? I said, absolutely. And he said, well, you know, sometimes that could get kind of sketchy if you're telling a woman that you love her or you're telling a man, a man, that, you're telling a man that you love her. You know, and I'm like, if Jesus came to our church, what would he do? He'd hug everybody here, look you in the eye and tell you that he loves you. And we need to love others the way that Christ loves us. Can I get an amen to that? We love each other. If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Having received this incredible love from God, we are directed not to keep it to ourselves, but to share it with others. Again, they will know us by the love we have one for another. As Christians, we are not to keep Christ and his love to ourselves. His agape love for us ought to produce an agape love for others. Now, it's interesting. We're going to go to Israel. We thought about going this year, but I mean, pretty soon here, but it's it's so expensive, it's going to take time. But I'm going to plan a trip to Israel. And one of my favorite things in Israel is a place you would never even think. I love teaching in about 40 different spots that are in the Bible where David fought Goliath and you, you know, you're right in the middle. It's so good, right? Where Jesus taught this sermon. But one of my favorite places is a place called Tel Dan. And in Dan, up at the top, is where water comes up out of the ground. And it comes up almost like a fountain. And this water is rushing out and it is the cleanest, most crystal clear water you have ever seen. And there's a little bridge over it. And there's times I will just stand there for 20 minutes and just watch that water coming out. But here's the crazy part. Some of that water goes to the Jordan River and it's clean and flowing, but some of that water ends up in the Dead Sea. Now the Jordan flows, it's crystal clear and it's beautiful. You get to the Dead Sea, it's dead. You know why it's dead? Because it's all inlet and no outlet. 
See, the Dead Sea is so filled with salt, nothing can grow in it. The Jordan is just teeming with air. It's the most beautiful water you've seen. It's so crystal clear. You just want to take a cup and drink it. It's so clear. And so here's the key. We've got the river of life flowing out of us. And we don't want to be like the Dead Sea where all we do is get fed and we never have anything flow through us and pour out of us on the world around us. Again, a lot of Christians are spiritually dead because they feed this way, but they get fed this way, but they never take what God has done in their life and minister to somebody else. Guys, we want to be the Jordan. We don't want to be the Dead Sea. Can I get an amen to that? Fresh water becomes stagnant and bitter in the Dead Sea because there's no outlet and nothing grows and the Jordan is beautiful to look at. Again, the same water, one flowing, one not. God didn't save us that we might keep the living water to ourselves, amen? John had learned this lesson directly from the Lord. In John 13, Jesus washes disciples' feet. Jesus watched Judas' feet. Think about that. Can I get a minute of that? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. By the way, washing their feet was the job for the lowest of the servants because in those days, everybody wore sandals and they didn't walk on pavement for the most part. So when their feet were disgusting. And so that was it. And Jesus washed their feet. See, he all, not only was he going to the cross to die for us, but he was willing to humble himself to serve them in such a way. Again, we need to follow the example of our Savior. We might have expected Jesus to conclude by uh, storing up for one another, um, asking someone else to get up and wash their feet. But John, it says in John, if then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The proper response to the agape love of God is, that's being poured out upon us is that we pour it out on one another. Amen? Again, if anybody walks in this campus, they should, be, they should be blown away by the agape love that flows out of all of us as we love on one another. Amen? I love each and every one of you, and I mean that, and I'm saying that before Almighty God. And you know what? Because he first loved me, I'm able to love everyone. Amen? He came for those he knew would reject and despise him. And again, the love will lead to practical uh, action. If someone offend you, seek reconciliation. If you're the offended party, so was God, and he went straight away and sought reconciliation. We should do the same. If we do not love one another, how can we say we receive the love of God? So in closing, true love, God's definition of what love really is. We talked about eros, that's if love. If you do for me, then I will love you back. We talked about phileo, which is because love. I only love you because of what you did for me. I feel obligated. Agape is anyway love. I love you no matter what. I love you anyway. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm still going to love you. There's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. Uh, uh, eros takes. Phileo is selfish. Agape gives. Agape is selfless. True agape love is evidence that you've truly been saved. The fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you have a love, supernatural love for others and a love for the Lord is evidence you've been born again. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Agape love is demonstrated by a heart of selfless sacrifice. Simple selfless things that people do to minister to one another. Things you don't even know take place. Somebody in our church needs something and all of a sudden four people are over at their house helping them. You know, that's the body of Christ, and that's the way we should function. Amen? And then finally, true agape love flows through the life of the believer into the world around us. When you go to work tomorrow, if you're going to work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Amen? When you're walking through your neighborhood, the Holy Spirit is walking through your neighborhood. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
The Lord dwells inside of you. Wherever you go, there are divine appointments awaiting you. We are called to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, I thank you for the love you poured out upon us. I thank you for the greatest act of love in all of human history, Father, that you sent your son and you endured all his torment and you allowed it to happen. I thank you, Jesus, for enduring the torment, the suffering and the shame out of love for us. And Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to rule and reign in our lives to convict us, but also to comfort us. Lord, help us to love one another as you have loved us. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we might love people in a supernatural way. Lord, I pray there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You know about him, but you can't really say that you know him. That you've ever truly been born again. That Jesus is your best friend. That you walk in intimate fellowship with him. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm going to give you a chance to confess it right now by simply just raising your hand where you are and say, you know what? I want to surrender my life to the Lord. I'm ready to be born again. I'm re- I want to pray that prayer. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Anybody? God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you, brother. So repeat after me. Even if you didn't raise your hand and you want to give your life to the Lord, just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross. He paid for my sin. I believe he proved himself to be God by raising on the third day. I believe that you can forgive me. I ask you, please, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to turn away from my life and surrender my life to you. Help me, Lord. Give me a hunger for your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you, Lord, that I know now I'm going to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.